I'm always down for that because you know no one likes Kyle. Oh, he's the worst. The yes. worst. And welcome to the Down and Front Podcast, the official podcast of downandfrontpodcast.com. I am your host, Warren, and here what we do is that we review movies, TV shows, sometimes video games, anything and everything says social media and media on the screen, on the small screens, even like Black Mirrors. So we're excited. We're pumped. Tonight we're going to be doing a huge like new review by Tully. By director Jason Reitman, starring Charlize Theron, Mackenzie Davis, Ron Livingston, and a bunch of other small um, character roles. So I'm super pumped because this movie, I think, is going to go down, and a lot of people are going to be talking about this movie um, a lot more. So I'm pretty pumped to actually kind of unpack this. But before we get to all the nitty gritty, we normally go through and talk about you know what we've been sipping on and other things that we've been watching before we get to our full review. So I'm going to toss it over to my best friend. He is finally back. From his way, way, way. Man, he looks super tan. I wish you could see him right now. This man has been looking gorgeous. The mouth of the South. Rylan, how's it going, man? Welcome back. Thank you. It's awesome. It's great to be back in the East Coast. Uh, so uh, what I've been drinking, what I'm drinking right now, is I'm finishing off a four-month-old bottle of whiskey I left over before I left for California. So this is Amador whiskey. Double barreled. I'm drinking it neat because my ice hasn't frozen yet. So it's nice. It's smooth. I like it. It's got a really cool label. I'll show it to you. Oh, nice. Double barrel yeah. whiskey company. Huh, looks fancy. And from Napa Valley. Look at you. Yeah. It's a Kentucky bourbon that's been cast in Napa Valley wine barrels. So it's got a unique flavor to it. Aren't you fancy? I dug it. But uh, what I've been watching recently, to prepare myself for Tully, I decided to watch Young Adult, which was the first collaboration between Charlie's Throne, Diablo Cody, and Jason Reitman. And I either didn't enjoy this movie or don't get the point of it. Uh, <laughs> so it's a, I found it to be a movie that they lead you to think that the character's going to learn a big lesson and then nothing happens. And it's just one of those movies that just ends, which you're just left up to think about on your own terms what you mm. think the character's going to do next. Uh, but there are some good performances, especially Patton Oswalt is in it. And he plays a character that I, I just haven't seen in another movie before where he's been through some traumatic times, but he's still going about his life. And it's cool to see like that character that even though he has he should have a chip on his shoulder he finds a way to get around that and still lead a solid life even though there are people that try to bring the badness out again and uh get him to kind of like dwell on the bad things that happened to him but 
amazing performance. He becomes like the voice of conscience for Charlize Theron's character in the movie. Uh, I think it's worth watching. It's on Amazon Prime right now. I just, I don't think it's for everybody. It's a very unique story that I think will speak to only a certain audience. Got it. Uh, The other thing I'll mention is I watched a Netflix original movie called Anon, which is a sci-fi film starring uh, Clive Owen and Amanda Seyfried. Uh, and I dug this movie. Uh, I think it's uh, really cool, especially the aesthetic of it. Like cyberpunk's really big right now, so it has this very dark, minimalistic, clean look to it. And it's kind of like they're trying to tell a Tinker Tailor soldier spy type of espionage thriller in a society where everybody's connected. So it's kind of like, how do you solve a murder when everybody's connected? which was an interesting concept they have in it. And I wish they played more into that in the movie, but it's still worth watching. There's some really cool aesthetics, how the UI for everybody's augmented reality vision uh, is just full of data and it's very clean and minimalistic, which I really enjoyed. I really want to go back and watch the movie and like pause because you'll see these little dossiers next to everybody's face when someone's looking at them. That's actually like written like script of something about that person. So I think it'd be need to go back and just read all those different things. Very cool. Yep. So we got a uh, young adult that was on Amazon prime and a non that was on Netflix. Uh, thanks Bradley for uh, yep. coming on and thank you for hanging out with us again, uh, as you thank always you. are. Yeah. I'm going to toss it over to one of my best friends, not as cool as Brylin, but He's all right. Uh, Mike the Shredder rocking the sick playoff beard, looking like Mar- Mar- Marcus Morris. Ooh, there we go. Mm-hmm. I got it. I got it out there. Uh, if you called him Markeith, he was going to have words with you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, uh, they, they, they look the same, and that's not racist. It was twins. <laughs> uh, how you been? What you been sipping on, and what you drinking? I'm fantastic. Uh, you know, today's a weird day. I looked at my fridge, and I, I bought a nice little four-pack of IPAs specifically for tonight, and I I wasn't having any of it, so I'm drinking water. I like, literally was like, nah, I just, I can't. can't do I, it. I, had a, I had a beer for lunch, and it's like, eh, nah, not for me tonight. Uh, just the beer for lunch? Well, I had a burger. T- I had a burger too. Yeah, so no, no cutting calories, and I had muffins. You know, later. <laughs> it's all about the muffins. Um, muffins. But uh, yeah, so some good old spring water. Glorious. Uh, you know, as we get older, uh, I think we're gonna unpack this later. We start to mature. We can't do the things we used to do as, <laughs> as youngins. Uh, anyways, what I've been watching, I actually did start watching something. Say uh, what? I know, I know. I, I started watching Evil Genius because it's four episodes long. And it is clearly Netflix is trying to like do the whole uh, like what makes a murderer thing again. And like they're trying to strike gold a second time. And so it's like pretty much the exact same thing. Uh the premise is way more interesting and then it just gets super boring after that. Like they clearly did not have, at least they haven't gotten far enough. They didn't have enough material and they're just totally stretching it. So the premise, I'll give you the premise. This dude the one with the nuns. No, I well, not yet. Maybe I don't know. All so right. it's, uh, this dude, <laughs> Spoiler. yeah, right. This dude robs a bank, uh, and he has a collar wrapped around his neck. He robs a bank with a cane gun too. Like that, what a weird weapon for that. They haven't explained where that one comes from, but um, 
he he's wearing this collar around his neck and it has an explosive like right on his chest. And so he like talks to the police because obviously they pull him over. Um, and apparently he was in the middle, like someone abducted him, strapped this thing on him and then told, gave him a, like a treasure hunt to find the keys to unlock it. It's like literally, uh, you know, Dr. Rob, if you're out there, cover your ears, but it's literally like a game of saw. Um, but yeah, no, this, and this dude got exploded in the middle of the road. The cops handcuffed him, put him on the ground, uh, and you know, until they could figure out what was going on. And like, I guess the timer ran out and he he, like literally detonated on like in Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, and so, uh, it wasn't that, that bad, but it was like, you know, they definitely blanked it out when the the whole bomb went off. But, uh, but yeah, so it's about like this whole murder mystery and it's like kind of centered around this girl, but like, I don't know, it, it, it's not as interesting as making a murder because there's no secondary suspects and there's no believability that in the end, the people that they've spotlight, like didn't do it. You know, part of the great part about making a murder was that you could have equal amount of people saying he didn't do it and equal amount of people being like, yes, he definitely did. And this, like, they haven't presented enough evidence to be like, well, that he didn't do it or she didn't do it. So that's what I don't know. It's I'll probably finish it because the premise is so interesting, but it's not that great. <laughs> it seems like you have a lot on your plate there for picking up a show that you kind of sort of didn't like you like, but now you just want to stick through it. Well, only I, four episodes. That's not, not bad. Yeah, I put it on after watching Drugs Incorporated. Uh, this is my new I don't know why I'm doing this to myself, uh, but whenever I take a nap, I have this thing where I can't like fall asleep to something I actually want to watch and engage in because then I like think subconsciously I'm ruining it for myself when I eventually wake up and have to go back. Um, so I, I literally just, I don't know why I put on this, like this A and E documentary, I think called drugs incorporated, which is awful. It's like you fall asleep to crack whores and then you wake up an hour later to, or let's be honest, two hours later, uh, to some heroin addict. It's like, you know, not the greatest thing to be sleeping to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, you know, I don't know. I can't I can't fall asleep to like series of unfortunate events cuz I'll wake up mid-song 6 episodes later and be like, what happened? What happened? Yeah. <laughs> you should go you can fall asleep to Paddington because those movies are terrible. So, there you go. I've Just never me. seen them so I'm not going to I can't rebuff that. I know, I know. I mean, it's it's the perfect movie to fall asleep to because it's just like light and you just you literally don't have to pay attention. If you do wake up, you're like, oh, I'm pretty sure I can get a got there without watching anything. <laughs> so there you go. Well, as always, it is great to see your face. It is great to have your voice on the, this night's podcast. And you said you watch Evil Genius where on A&E? No, it's uh, Netflix, Netflix, Netflix original. Netflix. And I am Warren. I will be your host for this evening. Uh, I am currently sipping on a old, not not really a classic, but I've had this before. Um, this is called Dark Horse Double Down. So red wine, red blend. Uh, it is quite phenomenal. Um, I would say it's probably as close to Apothic Dark. Uh, I think I know you've definitely had that one, Brylan. Brylan, have yeah. you had this one? I've had Apothic Dark. I haven't had this Double Down. Okay, oh. the double down is really good. It's like a limited release, they say, but it's been out for like eight months. So I'm pretty sure it's gonna <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be here to stay. Let's let's be honest. Gmail's um, still in beta. 
Exactly right. <laughs> yeah, they all, it's always beta because if something goes wrong, then they can't blame us. Uh, but it's really good, so definitely go check this out. It's uh, Dark Horse Double Down. Um, and what I've been watching, I've been watching a bunch of things, but I actually got a chance around to watching Girls Trip. Have you guys seen this movie? <laughs> I've watched it on HBO uh, now. I have not. No. no. Okay. So this movie is very fun. Uh, uh, the premise is basically uh, a, a bunch of uh, grown-up women, women go out and uh, they go to New Orleans to have like this girls' trip in which they can just go let loose and be like they were themselves in our college. But a bunch of things obviously goes wrong, and some hilarities ensues. Um, Jada Pinkett Smith's in it. Regina King, I believe, is in it. Queen Latifah's in it. And um, oh crap, I forgot her name. She's like super famous now. She's like, Rosie P. Henson. No. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Tiffany Haddish. Yes, thank you. <laughs> there we go. It was one of yeah, those two. Yeah, yeah, one of those two. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the movie was very silly, very, very silly. It was very odd because this movie came out, I think, maybe last year, maybe the year before. But all the performances in the movie, like all the people that were performing, were all from like 80s and like late 80s, early 90s, maybe 2000s, like R&B and like rap and stuff. So, although this movie was from last year, all the actual performers were actually performing in this place uh, in um, uh, New Orleans. And so, I definitely think that this movie was catered to, like, people from that time frame who knew. Because I actually knew just about everybody who's performing. I was like, oh, I haven't seen this person in years. I didn't think this person was still alive. Oh, that's pretty cool. Brian McKnight. Uh, exactly. He was, he, was in the, <laughs> he was in the movie. He even had Maxwell in this movie. I was like, oh, my gosh. Why is Maxwell here? That's weird. Um, so I thought that was kind of funny. They definitely know like their target audience. Uh, but you know, the movie itself like went pretty well. And I think at one point this movie made a bunch of money last year and people didn't even realize, uh, because of the other movie that was basically the white version called rough night came out, I think a weekend or two weekends after, and that one bombed in the theaters last year. So that was kind of funny, but definitely go check out girls trip. If you just want a nice comedy, Oh, like blue, you can fall asleep to girls, girls trip. It's fine. Okay. I'll check it out. Perfect. So is it like uh, like a blend of like clever humor and gross out humor like Bridesmaids or is it something else? Oh, that's is not much clever humor. It's more of like in your face sort of slapstick humor. Uh, and then like there's some like gross out humor parts, but it's kind of funny. Uh, there was this one moment. <laughs> there was this one moment that Tiffany Haddish character uh, explains the grapefruit. <laughs> oh Jesus! Friend of the show, the grapefruit. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, the uh, per- the uh, person I was watching with was not familiar with the concept, and I just could not stop laughing. <laughs> who did you watch it with? It was a giant time. Huh? Who Who did you watch it with? Uh, my friend. Ah. So it's uh, it's very exciting. Uh, it was very cool. Uh, my friend. Uh, yeah, so uh, um, I would definitely go check out Girls Trip. It's on HBO right now. It's very fun. It's very bubbly. Like I would say, it's a movie that you kind of sort of have to talk through um, because you kind of like get like more of the jokes and makes it more funny. And it has a, a little bit of substance. But uh, Michael Coulter, 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 right? Yeah. Luke Cage. Yeah, Luke, Luke Cage is in it. So yeah, nice. he, that's that's fun um, that he's in that movie. He Although needs to do more stuff. Yeah, yeah, he was in the movie for like a little bit. So I was like, but you're like a good dude. You're playing like a bad dude in this movie. Huh? So that's a bummer. Uh, but yeah, that's what I've been watching. And that's what I'm drinking. So we're pumped. 
I'm excited to actually talk about this movie. Uh, we we can chat about it for a little bit, but then we're going to take a break. Um, just so that the next segment after our break, we're going to be getting to everything and anything about this movie with all the spoilers contained. So definitely stay tuned for that. But I do want to talk about a little bit more of Jason Reitman's films. I know, Briley, you had talked about this. I actually have never seen any of his films before. And so what I'm going to be able to do is uh, talk about that. You said something about Thank You for Smoking. And what was the other film that up he was in the air. up in the air? OK, yeah. so definitely talk to me about like some of the uh, Jason Reitman's films yeah. before we kind of get into it uh, of the full review of Tully. Uh, yeah, so it looks like I've seen pretty much all of Jason Reitman's films. So um Definitely the one that stands out to me the most is Up in the Air. I think it's a really amazing character study of uh, a guy that has a thankless job, but he kind of has to find a way to uh, tolerate the job, but also find purpose in his life. And they have this really cool metaphor of can you fit your life in a backpack? Because he's traveling through airports constantly. His job takes him to a different state, different city every single day. And I found it to be a really, really interesting character piece. And that's what Jason Reitman's pretty much uh, good at. Uh, he also did Juno, which was Diablo Cody's first written film, which I didn't really like the dialogue, but um, it had some interesting premises, was well shot. I mean, Jason Reitman learned from his dad, who was one of the best filmmakers of the 80s. Uh, but I think especially looking at these three movies where he's working with Diablo Cody, either they helped each other mature or, I mean, Diablo Cody's definitely had a lot of maturity in her dialogue because you can see that it goes from this very super overly pretentious dialogue in Juno, some a little bit more realistic in young adult, but still kind of pretentious for the right reasons, like for uh someone dealing with being immature and but still being an adult that has to find ways of growing but in totally i think it's really exceptional how realized the dialogue is and so it's really cool to see that journey happen through his career his films but i really enjoyed what he does he's done smaller films than what his dad did uh and i think that has helped him like kind of find his own niche and find his own voice as a filmmaker. Nice. It's nice to see that you have a lot of these pieces of work that you can see the actor or the actress or the director or the writer. You can see them growing in their work and you see bits and pieces of some of their previous works and how one thing may have worked, but other things may have not. And so things that they choose to omit and things that they choose to add um, to it. And so it makes it more like a, a better cinematic performance. So I think that's actually pretty cool. Uh, Blewett, did you have any information from, uh, did you know anything about Jason Reitman or? No, um, lit Diablo literally. Cody? I saw Juno about a decade ago and then I, I didn't see Jennifer's body. I don't think anyone did, but. <laughs> <laughs> no. I don't think Jason Reitman directed yeah. that. No, I, th I thought that was on the list. Um, no. He may have been um, like the producer. I think he executive produced. Oh, yeah. okay. But I Diablo still Cody did write it. So. Oh, maybe that's what the that she was the writer on it. Yeah, I, I didn't see that. Either way, doesn't matter. <laughs> well, Jason Reitman did was the executive producer of Whiplash, so that's like the, one of the first things that I see going down his list. And I believe I actually did see Thank You for Smoking. Um, I think I actually saw that movie because Scarf uh, Scarface, two faces in it. So <laughs> Scarface. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, Scarface is also in that movie too. Yeah. No, uh, Aaron Eckhart is in that movie, and I think that was another. I think it was like a satirical thing about uh, being like a positive role model for a tobacco company, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of a. I like how they kind of draw the line between, you know, realistic approach a lot, and then what people are kind of sort of de- dealing with right now. Anything that's satirical is always kind of uh, you run that sort of like weird sort of gray area. So I think it's also pretty cool. So we are excited. We are going to give you a quick break. Go use the bathroom, grab a drink, and we'll stay tuned for a full review of Tully. Let me get back. See you soon. Yes. Thanks for tuning in to the Down in Front podcast, official podcast of downinfrontpodcast.com. We are here. We are reviewing Tully, uh, one of the newest movies. It's listed as a comedy. It's definitely more of a drama, uh, with, uh, directed by Jason Reitman, starring Shelley Sterron, Mackenzie Davis, and a whole bunch of other cool, very, very interesting casted people. Uh, what we're going to be doing is that we're going to be breaking it, the actual review down in a few sections. So we're going to talk about, you know, the acting and the casting, and then overall just have kind of a conversation about like how mental health is kind of being portrayed in the movie. And then we're going to talk about the twist. Not quite M. Night Shyamalan, but it was pretty damn close. Um, so we're definitely going to be talking about that, and then we're going to d- give our conclusions and the wrap-up. And because this beautiful man is back, of course, Mr. Mouth of the South is going to start us off. And Brylan, talk to me about like some acting, some casting, and things that you dug about this movie. Uh, so I think overall, since this is a small cast, everybody did a really great job of playing their roles. Um, especially Charlize Theron and Mackenzie Davis. Like... Um, Mackenzie Davis's character does not work unless she's able to bring out this very energetic, um, not innocent, but precocious outlook on life and is looking to be that unexpected caretaker. And that in her playing off of Charlize Theron and Charlize Theron just looking beaten down and disheveled and just you look at her and you see the grind of life pretty much in every scene, having those two in a dichotomic uh, stance with one another, it makes the movie work totally. And what their two characters go through is uh, a substantial journey of just parenthood and uh, what it means to be a mom in this uh, story. But they also have some really great supporting characters. Uh, Ron Livingston, really haven't seen him around much, but it's cool to see him as this dad that even though he says he cares and um, he goes to work and he does his job, uh, seeing the exhaustion on his face, whether or not he can provide any more support for like a new child, even though they've, they've definitely been down this road before 
it's interesting to see uh, how his character deals with that situation as well. And I wouldn't say he's necessarily being uh, neglective, but it's more of just like, does he have any more energy or effort to put into this um, this journey you have to go through when raising a new child? Uh, and I also thought, uh, oh, which, uh, which brother is it? Which Duplass brother is it? Nick? Mark. Mark. Mark Duplass. Um, he plays a dick really well. <laughs> and I always like seeing him in like kind of that dickish role. And he's, he's uh, definitely kind of like uh, the other part of uh, Marlo's character, like in that family, just that he kind of ran in his own direction and didn't really uh, settle down until he was able to like afford the lifestyle of having multiple kids and having a, a wife that he could dote on and everything. Dude, so it's dude. really interesting to see how he got to his point versus where Marlo is. Legit. I can't not see creep like him <laughs> when he was just like, he's like coming to the, like this weird, creepy Tiki basement, you know, uh, I thought it was a scene from get out too, honestly, with the, the whole Tiki theme, but like <laughs> the, um, the Tiki torches, I know you're talking about Tiki torches. That was like literally Tiki though. <laughs> Honestly, if Jordan <laughs> Peele if Jordan Peele steals that, uh, I think he owes down from podcast at least uh, an executive $1. producer role. Um, at least, at least uh, minimum. Um, but yeah, no, it's impossible to to separate him playing that creepy. Like I can only really see him as like the goofy comedy from the league, or just the guy from Creep that might whip his penis out. <laughs> I haven't seen Creep, so I'm glad I don't have that. I've definitely seen the league, but I didn't it was surprising, Brylan. I didn't get like from the Mark Duplass character who plays Craig, um, who's Marlo's brother. Um yeah. I didn't get the dick um as much in this movie. I think his wife uh was definitely uh, like I didn't really like the 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 tone of like the, what his wife was portraying. I think for sure she was a bitch. She was very condescending. Just it didn't seem like she liked uh, Marlo or Drew's character at all. Uh, but at least with um, Drew, Craig's character played by Mark Duplass, I felt like it was more complex. And even in the moment of when they go into the Tiki, he was like, Hey, I, look, look, I'm right there with you. I'm sitting here. I'm trying to help you. I'm offering help. We grew up in the shit together and I wanted to get out of it, you know? And, it definitely felt like he like he had to work for it. And at this point, it's like, all right, well, you know, this is my sister. So I can have like this different sort of um, like relationship with her. Uh, and so I can understand like some of the motivations, at least in the, the yeah, right. He's only in like two scenes. Spoiler. Uh, but at least in that scene that they were talking about a, at the dinner table, it was like, I'm not like flaunting like my wealth at you. It was more along the lines yeah. of, you know, this is this is what I am now because I, I built myself up to that. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't mean to call him uh, like a dick. Like he's, he's actually reaching, he's actually putting effort behind flaunting it in front of Marlo or uh, her husband. I was going to call him Peter. Uh, but, um, <laughs> but uh, what it is, is that, he's gotten to that level and his wife's at that level too, where they've created that bubble and they know that bubble. And so when they talk about that bubble to others that never, that aren't at that level, it comes off as very pretentious and stuff because mm -hmm. they're like, Oh, why don't you just get a nanny or someone to watch after the kids? And they're like, do you see what I'm fucking dealing with? 
because that's like the first reaction. And I think it's a very natural way of perceiving that. And so I think that was a really good job of them being able to show that, hey, even though you're at different economic stations of life, that um, that y'all probably have more in common than you think. Mm-hmm. And I think the movie did a really great job of uh, kind of exploring that along the way as well. I think also one of the major themes uh, besides kind of what happens at the twist. Um, but one of the major th- themes is missed communications. Uh, there was that great scene where um, Mark Duplass and his uh, wife were in the hospital ready to go down the elevator. And he says that I just want my sister back. And so mm-hmm. I think this movie does a great job from an unreliable narrator perspective of drawing you you don't see what the characters really are saying. You see what what certain people take them to mean. And so I don't think that intrinsically these characters are mean to each other, but they come off that way due to miscommunication and a little bit of an unreliable yeah. narrator. Um, and so I thought that was that was really cool. Um, that really brought it out. You're, you're right, Brian, that like obviously different people and uh, people in different social statuses are going to miss that but you know i I think there was more there yeah absolutely um there's also some good child actors in this movie um i want to get into jonah in the next section a little bit more so uh warren i'm gonna pass it off to you you yeah i'll definitely talk about sarah so um sarah is played by leah franklin so she is the daughter which is the first daughter of marlo and drew and, you know, she was very different. She was uh, uh, she was kind of different, you know, not very because we'll, we'll talk about Jonah also. But she has glasses. And I think there was a there was one kind of p- components that she's like very smart, but uh, still very kind of shy. And even at her birthday party, she didn't really want to like kind of uh, speak, uh, like actually kind of um, uh, sing the karaoke. But I think that she just did an absolutely kind of solid role throughout the entire movie even kind of balancing the character of Jonah and balancing the character of Marlo too, especially seeing them all in that one car scene together when she's like trying to drive like that, that was the the epitome. I kind of sort of, I think like if you were to show somebody like a snippet of the scene, right. Or to tell people like, Hey, you should check out this movie or like what's one of the essence of this movie is just to see, like just show them that like 15, 30 second car scene. Um, but I think that's a very, very good. Uh, I think it's a very good storytelling. I think it was a very. She's a great actress. I haven't. I don't think I've seen her anything else just yet. I looked at her IMDb. She only had like two or three other things. Um, but it was something that you know I, that right there, and just like all the acting total. I don't like the cast was maybe fifteen, twenty people max, but really we only seen like four or five, maybe six. You know, uh, and then she's definitely kind of one of them, and she definitely feeds off of what everybody else is kind of doing, and even her small like kind of a couple lines like here and there. They were kind of throwaway lines at first, and then once you get to the point of the movie that we'll talk about a little bit later. Like it starts making way more sense why she's saying some of this stuff. So I'm um, definitely huge, huge shout out to Leah Franklin. She was awesome. Um, as a part of like all my other casting, I love anything to do with like a small cast. It's more intimate. You have these small casts in a small settings. And so the majority of the times that you're going to have these characters talking one on one or talking with a group of people, but it's never more than like four or five people at a time, you get a lot of this sense of 
you get more character work. You get you start learning people more. You get so you start to kind of understand what's actually kind of happening. And um, an example of this is that you can see Charlize Theron's character Marlo talking to the principal, right? And she just basically we I did like we're not entirely sure like why she keeps saying like you know. Uh, oh, we, but, but, but we love your family, but we love your family. And straight up, she calls her out was my, my brother donates. That's the only reason why I'm here. Right. Yeah. Like, let's let's cut the bullshit, you know. Um, so I like kind of scenes like that because you got you take a scene from, you know, Marlo's character screaming at the teacher to then the next scene that she has is like giving her cupcakes. And it's like, what the hell is going on with this woman sort of thing. <laughs> so um, but you see like through these small like beats you see more and more of this character mainly marlo because she's like the main character of it um of the story itself and that's something that you know i thoroughly enjoy what's watching and kind of seeing um these kind of smaller casts um for sure um i, I love everything that we, we ha- um bradley had talked about with even like, like even like Mackenzie davis and it was so so interesting to see her kind of feed off of um marlo and that all the way to the point where like you know she's um like that at at that point here like you've never noticed that you know there's a quote-unquote kind of gross scene but like a pregnant woman has to be like kind of milked in a, in a toilet and that looks like it's a painful sequence i'm like that sucks but man that is a huge that's a great friend right there like holy shit like good good on you yeah. you know um that's something that you have you, you just don't see there's a lot of stuff in this movie that you just don't see really um any any time else and they even had a montage of you know baby being born crying going on and her spilling a milk and all the things that's going wrong with having a new baby and it's not her first bit child right it's her third and so now it's interesting to see if damn she did this twice already now this is the third time and that repetitious like oh you can see you can kind of feel that weight so i like the fact that they even took the time to shoot a scene like Marlo has to pee on the toilet while she's in the hospital unless she, she they're not going to let her leave. And they take the moment, like, what, like a minute maybe out of the entire sequence to actually kind of show this to see that this, I, I like what they're doing. I like how this was shot. I like that they have a bit of like a slice of realistic approach to, well, this is really the pregnancy. It's not really everything leading up to it. It's like after it and like how you're actually going to be living and how you're doing it. Obviously, none of us knows how being pregnant feels, but it definitely, um, it was a lot more enjoyable and also kind of dif- difficult to watch at certain points. Um, and I'm glad they kind of put that into the actual movie. Rylan? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm definitely right there with you that not only are those... Um, those montage scenes that they do are they like consistently just like dealing with a new human pooping and having to be fed and having to feed the other two as well because they can't support themselves yet and Charlize is just able to like just show like hey I probably haven't slept in three days and I haven't showered in a while and just all those elements really bring you into that moment of this this uh woman actually trying to raise her children yeah. um in a very uh intense environment because there's three needy mouths that she needs to be fed and I think one of those scenes that just like adds on to like that montage is like when she's driving to the school first time she has to talk to the teacher and Jonah starts kicking her chair and Sarah's saying, can you get him to stop? And everybody starts screaming. And it just, 
kind of like gradually starts and then it escalates and then it escalates and then it escalates where you're there with her saying like, this is nuts. I don't know what to do with myself right now. Yeah. And I think that's like the daily uh, feeling that pretty much every parent has is especially if it's like first time parents is like, how, how do I deal with this chaos? Because it is utter chaos dropped into your lap. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they do a really good job of just like trying to capture matter of fact moments in life really well as well. I thought it was really awesome when, uh, Marlo and Tully drive out to New York and you're hearing just the bit parts of, uh, Cindy Lauper's album, like in every, every step. So she's going from wherever suburb around New York, and then she's driving into Brooklyn and they do that unique, like stop let's go to the next song let's go to the next song so you can get that perception of time of them taking actually a driving trip which i thought that was actually done really well uh and spoke a lot about uh just this needs to be as grounded as possible can i expand on that uh there's a lot of like really weird cuts in this um and i think that it went through to the the central theme you know one of the central themes that parenthood is ridiculous and i never want to have children after seeing this movie um (laughs) but uh but i think it was you know it was almost the opposite of baby driver where baby driver was cut to a uh, a beat you know every single thing happened on the downbeat of the song whereas this movie was just like all right slash it on the next scene uh all right let's let this go and go for linger for a second too long and then cut it to the next scene like it, it it felt really disjointed at times but not in a bad way you know like do you do you think it's like more like chaotic yeah yeah like there was there was it wasn't cut to a rhythm you know when Mm -hmm. they're when they're doing the baby montage it wasn't like you know uh diaper trash twist wham you know like you could set like a diaper diaper this was like completely different they they seemed to like vary it up which i thought was really cool after seeing again baby driver guardians of the galaxy um what was the other big one that was just like completely cut to music oh yeah i forgot star wars. yeah star, yeah but yeah even something like well something is star wars where you have a big majestic score in this movie you had a little bit of like radio music and you had a couple little piano tunes in the background uh, but realistically, no real score to cut to, you know, like, yeah, yeah, that's a good point, Warren, that like Star Wars, you cut to John Williams score and you have very big orchestral hits, you know, at the uh, the pivotal points, this free form, make yeah. it up as you go along. You know, it was a lot of fun. I, I did enjoy like just the amount of fun that they just continually to kind of have with it in some of those sequences. And you're like, I I felt so, I felt so glad for her. Like she finally has a night out. Yeah. She's hanging out with her friend. It's pretty cool. Um, And like this entire, the entire movie itself is just kind of like a roller coaster of emotions, which is awesome. Um, So I definitely kind of give up kind of huge props for that. Uh, Anything else that we want to add before we move into the, uh, the portrayal of mental health of this movie? Let's do it. Cool. Uh, so th- that's going to be, this is a topic that I kind of brought up for a little bit because I, I was ex- very, very glad um, to see at least some of the uh, 
you know, difficult conversations that they were kind of bringing up and the stuff that they kind of put into the script. And uh, Brylan, you had mentioned, you had talked about a little bit of for Jonah. So definitely kind of expand upon that and like talk to me about like your thoughts on the portrayal of mental health here. Yeah. So uh, I, to me, there's like two big characters where they like kind of actually explore mental health in different varying ways. One is uh, Jonah, who's definitely played very well by his uh, by the actor who portrays him. I'm not sure what his name is, um, but he's like seven, eight years old. Um, and the character of Jonah, he's you might immediately just take a look at him and like, oh, he must be on the autism spectrum somewhere or anything. But he's so young that you really don't know or not. It could be that he's a late bloomer or it could be more emotional rather than a psychological thing. And so there's a lot of uh, different uh, elements that they actually add to it where you see it's more about like the social perception of does this kid have an issue that needs more more attention than other students have versus um versus uh if is he like a normal kid that just hasn't blossomed yet mm-hmm. um that uh the way they they talk about that with the teachers how they saying Jonah's quirky he's a bright kid and um we just don't think the school is the right fit for him. We just don't have the facilities to help him out. It is a, it is heartbreaking to see that when the teacher is just telling them like, yeah, there's help out there. We can't provide it for you. You should just go and buy it somewhere. And even if Jonah does need all this special care and attention, it's definitely not the right message to send to the parents of that kid. Uh, because, um, especially Marlo, because she just had another kid and she's at her wits end about everything, uh, because she's not sleeping. She's not eating. She's not, uh, taking care of herself. And that's why she blows up at the the principal. Um, but they, they do a fantastic job of keeping that kind of ambiguous. If Jonah does have an actual uh, mental health issue or a some type of learning disability, which I I actually appreciate it because I have seen kids and there's kids in my family too where at three or four, yeah, I've seen their parents look concerned about is this kid going to be able to function with other kids, and then the next year, boom, there they are, mm-hmm. and it's just sometimes that's how kids develop. Not every kid's going to develop the same. And I think that's really neat because they they start you off with this very weird situation where Marlo is brushing brushing Jonah like a dog. And I, when I first saw that, I was like, what the hell is this movie? Yeah. This is a weird, <laughs> creepy scene. Yeah, that's the opening moment. Basically, the opening scene of the movie is that. And that is how you are uh, introduced to these characters to say... Am I missing? So this, especially because I had no idea what this movie is about. I'm like, uh, what kind of movie is Tully? I'm, I, I don't know we what I'm looking for, for. I thought we were in for Mother Part 2 for oh, a couple minutes there. <laughs> oh, I was like, oh, God. <laughs> no, not again. But it, it, it's neat to see. Like, this is so, it, I mean, they go to explain. This is something they found on YouTube that they say would help with kids with 
Jonah's needs, and you find out at the end, like, you know what? Jonah's just, Jonah's like, hey, I just want to be here with you, Mom. I love you. Oh and my oh my god, you don't have to brush me. It's okay. So um, I got a I got a thought uh, that I initially wrote down, and based on something I said earlier in this very podcast, I think I'm disagreeing with myself. Um, I kind of didn't like the whole quirky thing. Uh, for me, like two things. One, um, it seemed more autism spectrum and i think i could have used a little bit more honesty uh to me when i was watching the movie it seemed a little bit disingenuous to like call like an autistic person quirky you know that like that that seemed it seemed like a little bit insulting almost Um, it was almost like a word chosen by school committee to say like if we run into these kids what's the proper language we need to use but so that I, I like I, I like that also because you have Drew and his wife Elise like they use the same exact language because they're they don't know and so that was I guess that well, I, the way that hang on that, hang like, on they just didn't know so yeah. so the, part of that though I think goes back to the communication aspect that I was talking about earlier where our narrator again unreliable narrator uh, our narrator was suffering some sort of psychotic break. Uh, she could have been replacing and then by de facto in our ears, replacing the word autism with quirky. It seems almost like mm-hmm. a parent who's not quite like ready to accept that their child is going to be different and will require extra care. Uh, and so they hear quirky and, you know, fun. We like your family, not like your your child has autism. One thing that really stood out to me was uh, the scene where the principal was saying we can't have your son to me that's a perfectly reasonable conversation to have she was just having it in like an ass backwards way which again i hated in the movie when i first saw it but reflecting on what i previously said because apparently my genius takes about an hour and a half to come out um it makes sense where the mother is not hearing the logical conversation of our school is not set up for your son like your son's special needs will require a specialized uh, place to learn. And truthfully, I empathize with the principal. Like if, if I had a child who's special needs, I'd want them in the best place, like to learn and to better themselves, not to like arbitrarily pretend that, you know, he was normal or she was normal. Um, and so I think that we're getting a little bit more of that miscommunication and a little bit more of that unreliable narrator in those moments where quirky comes up instead of autistic, um, or, and, and and also based on the the prior where like autism, interestingly enough, diagnos- diagnoses, 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 yeah, are, are on the rise. Realistically, not more people have autism. We're getting way better at diagnosing people with autism. And so like that call out where, uh, you know, um, Charlize Theron was having the like, do you think he's retarded? Um, that is a very like age old thing where like autism wasn't misdiagnosed. And so if you had someone with special needs, they just automatically went to down syndrome or some other sort of, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, mental inhibition. So I, I, I don't know. I think, I think that more plays into it rather than like some, we're going to use a fun word. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. my only concern about that one, Blewett, is just a couple thoughts is the dialogue and the language that they gave that principal 
they really kind of set her up and this i understand exactly what you mean i i like uh that concept of like un unreliable narrator i think we see that a lot especially in like a lot of hbo shows and a lot of the shows that really get you into your head kind of makes you think and kind of question like reality in total my only thing is you know if they're you know if this school wanted to help out they would probably have found like other ways to kind of provide like some sort of service besides saying your kid can't stay here you know what's perfect for you this option a is perfect you can do this you can do it to this but we don't do that well so, they didn't even ask sorry. her if jonah's been tested or not which I mean, should so, have been yeah. like the first thing and I think that makes the movie a lot better is making Jonah's condition ambiguous that mm -hmm. is it a is it growth and development phase for him or is it something where he is on a spectrum of autism or any type of a uh need like that because it it's it's something where people race to assume there's a problem where mm -hmm. there may not even be a problem and it just might be it's a matter of time for it to work itself out. Well, even in I think this gives us another sort of example of when they when she finally enrolled Jonah in the other school and Jonah's like having a bit of an episode of like the toilets flushing and it's kind of like basically freaking out and kind of screaming. You have this random teacher that it was, again, super ambiguous. We don't know if he was a counselor or anything at all. He could have been like a math teacher or a substitute. Like, it doesn't matter. You have this guy just shows up and talks to Joan about how to like let's let's be a tree, let's take a couple breaths, let's do let's be a tree, let's kind of do a, a bit of a yoga pose to kind of calm his nerves and bring all the energy in and just kind of blow it all away, and that completely calmed him down to the point where that's that looks like that's all he that's all what was needed for that time when he's having those particular kind of episodes. So um, I liked that they at least kind of added that into there just as a, a different level of all it takes was just a little bit of time, like maybe changing up the way that you may think um, to to teach your son, right? Because this is her first time having a son. Um, so I, I thought that was another example, another uh, good way of just showing that there's a lot of different ways. Definitely keep everything ambiguous, right? Like we, it doesn't need to be it doesn't need to be anything diagnosed. I like how they kept it all ambiguous because what was going to happen is the people who watch this movie we're then going to put our thoughts into it. It's like, well, it could have been this, it could have been this. And that's what makes it um, way more impactful as the viewer of this movie. Yeah. yeah. I, I will say jo the actor playing Jonah was awesome. Regardless of your interpretation, yep. like that kid killed it. Yes. He should have been in Iron Man 3. <laughs> and Jurassic yeah. World. And your, uh, oh, so many movies. God damn it, Ty Simpkins. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what else do we have about like the overall portrayal of mental health here before we um, go on to the twist? Well, the other character that they kind of like explore with mental health is Marlo herself. So um, she starts having these dreams about mermaids and underwater and stuff like that. And um, we'll get into the twist in a bit, but it is, it's interesting to kind of explore that, that, is being stressed out from being a parent, is that a mental health issue that needs addressing and stuff? That being a parent is a huge undertaking, especially with all the responsibilities are to it, not just feeding and changing, but making sure everybody's fed and making sure everybody gets to school, making sure dinner is ready 
uh, when people get home and um, making sure that the house does not fall to pieces <laughs> while you're doing all of this. And that level of exhaustion that Marlo takes herself through, I mean, it can't, it does cause uh, some like uh, delusions for mm-hmm. her. And it's, I, I'll honestly say, I'm not quite sure what the whole symbolism of the mermaid's about. I mean, I don't know if it's like yearning for beauty and yearning to feel a different way or you're being a different person. Is that a Zoolander um, reference? No. <laughs> Water is the essence of beauty. <laughs> Water is the essence of moisture. <laughs> well, I mean, but, um, it's, it's postpartum it's a, depression that you're talking about. Postpartum depression is the thing that you're talking about. Yeah. Because, because, um, yeah, I, I, I'm definitely not the person to explore that in any in-depth way, but, uh, if I, I found it to be a very interesting journey for Marlo's character. Yeah. I mean, I liked, so this is another thing that I really enjoyed them doing now, you know, I think it's a bit of a storytelling or a, a couple of mechanics of, you have some foreshadowing that happens because she has a couple of these different sort of visions, right? Um, she has this dream of like, she has a sense of, she feels like she's drowning. Right. So she has that. Then she has to have a sense of, she feels like, um, uh, there's multiple Jonas and there's just too much that she can actually kind of handle for that time. And then she goes and kind of almost like she's driving a car and the car gets into an accident. Right. And that was one of her dreams. So we start seeing these things. And I think uh, one of you guys talked about it before, like it starts escalating, right? Like the sense of drowning, the sense of being out of control, the sense of like losing it. And so she, the I loved, I absolutely love that there's everything going against her. Nothing's going right. And then yeah. the moment she's trying to like, you know what? I'm going to like, fuck it. I'm going to do something myself. I'm going to go for a run. Right. And she's like running. She's like exercising. She's trying to kind of make herself feel good. She's like trying to race um, <laughs> the, uh, the younger lady. And um, I love the fact that she kind of sits down. She was kind of tired. She kind of feels good. She's like, like, like sat down. She was like, yeah, yeah, this is milk. I milk, you know, like <laughs> fucking d- deal with it. And I was like, fuck, thank you. Thank you for putting that in yeah. because that's something that we don't see, you know, that's uncomfortable, right? Lactation is like an uncomfortable thing that people don't talk about. And again, they literally gave us that time. They gave us that moment to really explore, like how, how are women actually feeling? Right. And this is like a snippet, right? But how women are actually feeling sometimes during this postpartum depression, like how are they actually feeling? What's going on? If it's just them and it feels like they have the weight of the world on their shoulders and what else do you have? Um, Charlize Theron does an amazing, a crazy, crazy, amazing job, especially after the conversation they had with the principal of, I felt like for sure she was going to flip and hit one of the kids or something, something bad was going to happen, but she held it together, you know? Um, and even so, like she finally kind of caved and kind of called that night nanny. She called um, Telly over and uh, she ended up kind of coming and it was still kind of like an awkward sense of what the heck was happening there. And I feel like we actually haven't talked about Telly, but we, I'm sure we will in a second. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, I'm just glad again that they they go there. They talk about the the uncomfortable moments of things that people don't really talk about. You know, we talked about mental health. We talked about um, the, the acting. We talked about like the physicality of the sexual moment here. And I'm glad they did that here. Yeah, they also like, have a really cool scene with uh, Marlo and Tully talking about Peter from Office Space. 
and like is he a good husband is he a good dad and she comes to the conclusion that yeah he's good because he's going to work he's doing his job and he's uh putting food making sure that we have a roof over our head really i took that as the other way I'm going to put a pin in that. I I think if we can talk about that next, the only reason why is I have a different approach from what what was happening there. I agree with you. Agree with both of you more on Blewett section, but I can tell you what in a second. But but it's interesting because you do have that whole scene with her former roommate at the beginning, and her former roommate and her. It seemed like they had probably more than a roommate relationship. Mm -hmm. I think she says she says it though. She said she loves Sarah. She was like in love with her. Well, I mean, they say they love her, but I mean, no, I think she said she was like in love with her when she was talking with Telly too. Oh, okay. So, so they were yeah. they were going back to a previous re- relationship. Mm-hmm. So that's that's even an interesting choice that her character makes is that she decides to settle down with a guy and have a family and kids and everything, even though that she obviously her sexuality is kind of more open than maybe her husband's is, and that when she meets with Tolly, that she starts to kind of like explore that back again and say, is that worth venturing down again? Mm-hmm. But I never left satisfied that they were in a good place in their relationship. Like I, I still seem like his apology was kind of half-assed at the end of like the, I should have seen it. Um, and it felt like it was more of just like, you know, I need to keep on doing this because I'm stable. Even that scene when they were talking about the relationship, there was a ton of hesitancy in her voice. Like she was, she was like, yeah, you know, it didn't sound like a convincing, like, you know, I love this man and he's the father of my children. It it was a difference between like love and compassion and some, a choice that was made because it was safe. And I think they also mentioned a a couple of times of, uh, babies, babies weren't planned, and they had to kind of like work around that. No, the last um, one wasn't planned. The first, the, the first, so the first two were. Okay. Um, okay. But that's why. But yeah, it just seemed like it just seemed like a stereotypical like loveless marriage. Like they made it fifteen years, had a couple kids, and you know it was just that was the thing you did. You woke up next to that person. Like he. They even spun it like he was a workaholic for a job that wasn't that good. Now, granted, they mm-hmm. had a Hollywood house, so that was, you know, paled in comparison, but way bigger than anything any of us are living in. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, it seemed like he was never there, but also struggling in his career, you know? Also, mm-hmm. one, one other thing, the whole video game thing was, uh, I thought, especially poignant, because uh, that's the society we live in now. I thought that was a really cool modern adaptation. The thing that pissed me off, though, uh, this is totally a sidebar, uh, the game he was playing was Gears of War, and he was playing it with a freaking <laughs> PlayStation controller. I honestly yeah. was, like, raging in the middle of this movie, of just like, you can't it's such an like you literally how do you how does not you you need call of duty you need one yeah you need something cross-platform how does not one pa be like yeah that game that doesn't exist with this controller just play overwatch yeah right uh well i mean i do want to go back to this one thing here because i think a lot of this uh a lot of the film um really does makes a statement of like how bad of a father that he was and how bad of a provider that he was just because like you go to work and you provide like money and like you provide like a a financial backing that doesn't make you a good father 
like the just like for the simplest of facts of she's literally doing and i don't i don't think there was like literally one moment i can see in this entire movie that drew's character was like helping out sarah his daughter out with homework other than that in the movie you didn't see him do anything he was able to do stuff you didn't see him do anything and he was literally that was like the the cadence that was happening of things would happen. She's taking care of the baby. He's upstairs playing video games and he goes to sleep. He never wakes up during the time that she's going down, tending to the baby back and forth, back and forth. He's literally always asleep, wakes up in the morning. He's gone out of work and she's like kind of doing the same thing over and over during it while she's on maternity leave, by the way, because she does have a job. So we, that I'm glad they at least kind of talk about that. So that at least made it definitely feel like God, this dude's not very good and i'm and i'm you know there was a bit of an ownership like later on in the movie of where you know he he did feel bad now should have been more of a like a should have been more of like an apologetic like you should have felt more about what was happening at that time oh for sure um but i it's you know it, they, they're trying to keep it realistic i think and i like the fact that it was it wasn't something crazy like over the top um him like uh, like apologizing to everything right so yeah and i think that, that was a lot that i was getting it, from this it's not like he was absentee or anything he definitely came home kissed me uh said hi to his kids asking them how's it going um he even has his moments with jonah and stuff and they play off like his his uh lack of being a father really subtly for the most part, which I think actually serves the movie really well. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple moments where it is like just blatant, like, Oh, of course he doesn't really understand why he's needed in the middle of the night for the feedings. Cause he just says like, well, you have the boobs that make milk yeah. and yeah, it plays off at, like a joke. But then at the same time, it also has this underlying seriousness is that, Hey, if she has to do this, be there with her too, because Absolutely. in case something bad happens, Absolutely. you're there for her. I mean, I have a lot of friends right now that are going through their first and second child, and they both are doing that. Whether it's yeah. the feeding, whether it's the getting up, but like they're like whether like neither one of them are drinking, right? They are both are doing that because it's both people that has to be, and that yeah. like it has to be like a balance. Uh, there has to be, <laughs> there, has to, <laughs> there has to be a balance. There has to be like both parties that has to contribute to this. And um, you know, I I was definitely feeling. I, I'm glad that he had that moment, kind of sort of coming back, but it, it made it a bit more obvious of like, wow, he's not doing what he should be doing as as a father and as a provider. He just like again. I think the video game kind of really highlighted it because he's literally yeah. doing that every night. That was kind of frustrating. Yeah, I, she's, she's, that, yeah. yeah I think the straw that broke the camel's back is when he walks in and goes, Oh, cold pizza. And like just the, the way he delivers that line and her yeah. reaction to that is just like, dude, you need to run before she just slaughters you. In right? front of the kids. And like, you can see how she looks in, like right after that. Right. Uh, oh man. And that, okay. That scene was so cringeworthy. Good though. Again, this is why I love the, some of the, this is why I love this movie is because at, right at that, as that happened, Jonah spills his drink on Marlo. And so she has to take off her she shirt because it's stopping. And then Sierra delivers a line and says, mommy, what's wrong with your body? Oh my gosh. Yes. 
oh that's that's why i was like damn that is like eviscerating a new mother to that her child just says that and ugh, that's tough yeah i love it i love it okay let's talk about the twist so i feel like the twist i feel like in this section we're probably going to be talking about a lot about tully but the biggest thing that we find out in this movie is Tully is not real. Tully, Tully is real. Mm, no, Tully was definitely not real. Not real at all. Tully um, so, is Marlowe. Marlo yes, yeah. exactly. So we see that Tully is uh, a fictional sort of um, representation, visualization, whatever you want to say of now we've kind of see and kind of know that she was actually Marlowe when she was younger. That was Marlowe, just like now visualize that this is everybody who I wanted to be by like more market on like the way that she looks, her body, her clothes, the style of of uh, music she listens to, to like every like literally everything, the type of um the type of food that she likes to. There was something else. She's like, oh, I have that too. Oh, I have that too. Uh, so be- that was like the be- the heat, the biggest thing. Now, before we kind of talk about the unpack that a bit more, did any of you guys pick up on this? And if so, when did you pick up on it? Um, I I would say I did not pick up on it at all. So okay. once they reveal it, I'm just like I was floored. I, I was just like, wow, they they really pulled that, and this movie means so much more than I thought it does. Right. Um. But my big question of this is, and I don't know if it's like a, just a matter of like how the movie was plotted or the editing of it. Was there ever a night nanny? No. Or no. was it, so? He, or was it that Charlie Theron just said, Hey, um, I hired a night nanny. She burned yeah. the she candle of both ends. Yes. The in, so I think the two things about there is because again, they do yeah. establish that there is a night nanny service that right. yes uh, but they also had a mark Duplass's wife they had a but great scene things that happened with the uh the carly ray jepson where um what's it called duplass was like oh i'm glad she like called the night nanny and and uh and peter was just standing there like smiling it, you know just like not saying like yes not saying no just like, kind of smiling and it, that was a super ambiguous moment um, it's, the other, it's the other way around so the peter the drew character asks Oh, uh, he he asked. Oh, yeah. So we have like this night nanny, and then the Duplass character goes, "Oh, she called him." Oh, and, yeah. Okay, oh, I got a backwards then. Oh, yeah, exactly. And so when that happened, that that was one of the first lines. I was like, "Oh, son of a bitch!" But I didn't pick. I didn't pick up on it at that time at all. Yeah. Um, I didn't pick it up until they were in the bar, and so that's when things started. Like once it started going off the rails. That was a car crash joke. Um, so when things start to go bad <laughs> for the actual for this, I was like, something's not right here. There, why does she know so much about? Because the, when the bartenders were interacting, when the people were interacting, they were only interacting with Marlo in the bar, and so that's why I was like, something's not quite right here. I don't know exactly what it is. And then we see that they she gets into the crash, she goes into the water, and she has like that vision of Marlo as a mermaid that's like unbuckling her seatbelt and like floats her up and then she wakes up in the hospital. Yeah. Um, so that was when I started like kind of putting a couple things um sort of together. Uh but then again, we had talked about the fact that, you know, the Peter character, the Drew character, 
he never went down to check on the baby or anything during the night. So he would have no idea if the night nanny was there or not. So she was basically doing everything at that time. And they, there's a couple of flashes too, but the, the yeah. night nanny was never there. Because I, I thought the whole kinky uh, diner maid uh, scene that just threw me for a loop where um, you see totally get on top of him and start like necking at him and stuff. And then the next day he's like, yeah, that night nanny, she knows her stuff. And I'm like, did they just do this? Did they just have some weird three way that happened? And so that's like where the movie started to just get kind of say where I started to think about there, there needs to be something else to this movie because uh, something's not right here because regardless of who drew is and stuff, he doesn't seem like the cheating type. Yeah. Yeah. That was out of left field. I I will say this about the ending. Um, so I, I didn't watch a single trailer for this. I legitimately didn't even know who was in it. I pulled a full warn. I, I literally, he's like, we're seeing Tully. That's what we're next. Next one we're doing. I had nothing. Um, I knew the runtime because I knew when to be when I'd be back here for you guys to record this podcast. Uh, that was it. And so I I honestly like kind of hurt a little for something I'll probably talk, talk about in the wrap up. But like that, I had no idea what the tone of this movie was. And I was like awkwarded out the entire the entirety of the movie. And then when that scene hit, it was like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Like I kind of. <laughs> didn't like the whole rest of the movie until that hit. And then thinking about every single one of those moments, like in a different light was like, yup, that's what, that's what that's about. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I will say this. Uh, hang on one sec. Oh, froze. Oh, I got it. Um, so a couple of things, the, I loved how they introduced it at first, the first night that the nanny comes over Tully um, they talk about like Marlo breastfeeding Mia and he says, Oh no, she kind of just uh, handed her to me and then creeped away into the shadows. And I thought that was like a masterful description on how these things start. You know, we as humans are, are standing on this like precarious little pinnacle that any little push from any little side can kind of cause us to tumble. And this movie really shows that. Um, and so but it never quite manifests itself immediately. You have to kind of mentally make yourself like, Oh no, this is, this is normal. Like you have to slowly gain this acceptance and have this like issue come out of darkness and into light, uh, which I, I, again, thinking back on those scenes that I thought were super weird and super awkward was freaking awesome. Um, the, I thought something that was really neat about Tolly is she always asked permission to be for doing something. Yeah. Yeah. That was like a, one of her aspects. Mm. Um, I also loved how they had the, this is small, but I love the cane callback, the whole like, Oh, are you going to murder everyone? And I walk away with a cane. And at the end of the movie, she's walking around with a cane. <laughs> um, two quick other things. Uh, the, um, I thought the mirror work in this was freaking awesome. So there was uh, a couple scenes specifically when they, they said like, Oh, the baby's like part of you. Like you'll have cells remaining in you for the next couple of years. They had this one thing where, uh, Charlize Theron was behind the car, you know, freaking out after just freaking out on the principal and she walks around and I don't know how they quite did this, but you see the baby 
in the bottom left-hand corner. It's like a mirror of a mirror. And you see her walking around, but still see the kid in it. Um, there was one more that I can't remember right now. And then the last one was one of the last scenes in the movie where she's standing in front of a mirror and it's tilted at an angle so that one side of her face makes her seem younger and the other side is like older. And she tilts it at one point. It kind of like fluctuates between the two as she had as a character through the, the, the movie, which I was like, that's freaking cool. Um, and then I think besides those, that mirror work, I think the last thing was like that. This is more of a personal note no, has nothing to do with the movie has all to do with Mike Blewett. Um, is that I am smack dab in the middle of these age groups. So Tully's, um, what is she? 26. And then, uh, yeah. Marlo is 40. Uh, and it definitely was like this weird self-reflection of like, I'm not 26 anymore. I'm not going out to bars. I'm not like living life every single night. Um, you know, I got a job and responsibilities and damn it, uh, you know, stuff to take care of. Uh, but also I'm not like a parent with a couple kids and, you know, a midpoint through a career. And so it's, it was this weird existential, like while the credits were rolling of being like, what am I <laughs> like, yeah. like I'm not, I'm not a partier, but I'm Why like, and I can, I? I can see that in my past. Uh, well, yeah. Who am I? I'm not like the party. I can see that in my past. And I can also like see glimpses of like having a midpoint in a career and like potentially other stuff, you know, down the line where like, but I'm not, I'm definitely not there. Uh, yeah, it was, it was weird. And that twist in the way that they conversed about it after the fact was kind of a mind bender. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this yeah. movie, I'm glad that it, that this is why I, and I appreciate you guys for, um, doing this is that I think one of the first things out of the movie that I finished this and I saw this kind of pretty late, I thoroughly enjoy movies because this one weighed on me for a good long time. I remember I like I yeah. literally walked home, didn't listen to music, really wanted to chew on this, really wanted to chew on this, kind of went to sleep, woke up the next day, I went to physical therapy. And at my physical therapy, it was like I was doing it, my my exercises and all I can think about was this movie to the point where my physical therapist goes, Are you all right, Warren? I was like, to be honest, no. Uh I just saw this movie and it's not bumming me out, but at, at the same time, again, like blue, I try to like really kind of get myself personally in this mindset of to think about, you know, past, present, future, and just about anything and everything all grouped into one. Um, so it was interesting. He was like, oh, should I go see it? And I said, well, he was a brand new father. He he has a three-week-old baby. Oh. And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> He's like, well, what should my wife go see it? I was like, probably not right now. I would like wait a little bit, like maybe down the line. He's like, oh, okay. I was like, yeah, it, I, I would wait a little bit. Until the kid's 18. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, well, I'm about 18, right? I would like wait until the kid's like two or three or something, but yeah. we'll, we'll see. Um, but... You know, this movie, you know, just personally, like, again, this is kind of the same thing. We're all around the same age, um, Blue It, Brylin. Yep. And we were all between the age of 26 and 40. So it that also got that that same sense of it made me think a lot about, you know, my mother had like five children. And again, this is another thing that kind of really kind of spoke to me, especially about the twist. Right. It was because. Personally, for me, my mom having five children, she was a single parent. So what the hell was she thinking of after me being the fifth child, right? What the hell was she thinking about (laughs) about doing half of that time? 
and it was all we were all within like a year of each other. So when I'm one, the other one's two, three, and you know, go on, so on and so forth. So it really, this is why I appreciate it. Like, show me these difficult moments that I will never have the opportunity to step into somebody else's shoes. This is why I like movies like that. Show me these moments. Show me yeah. these people's pain as much as you can paint a picture of it, so I can at least get a new perspective and gain. Fuck, this is what women go through. Period. Right? Like, this is what they go through. This is how they actually kind of have to deal with life. This is how. They, um, they, they don't, they, they just don't know how, how to like actually say this out loud. And, uh, this is why I appreciate these sorts of movies is they show me the difficult things that I'm not going to shy away from. I, that's something I need to watch it now. Granted, it's a movie. Yeah, of course it's a movie. There's a bunch of documentaries, a lot of other things to do it. Oh, of course. I'm not going to knock anything that's else. Anything's out there. This just so happened to be a movie about a time in which everything else about superheroes, right? Everything is about superheroes and everything else that we see inside the theater around like approaching this summer blockbuster mover blockbuster movies. And now we get this film that arguably has made me think more than any other movie I've seen all year. You know, Black Panther a little bit for one character, but this takes the cake on um, how I, how this movie cho- chooses to make me think. Yeah. And, I mean, there's one... I mean, the whole awesome thing about Tully being Tully is that it kind of shows the other side of the parenting while you see uh, Marlo go through... Um, the struggle and the grind and the terribleness, uh, I mean, just being the, the old utter exhaustion and chaos of parroting. And then you have Tully who is kind of there to remind her like, well, you've done all this tough work because this is the joy you get out of it. This is why it's unique. Even though this may seem like the mundane, boring thing to do in life where you have routine and you have this constant in your life of raising kids and being a parent that this is what it, what comes out of it. You get cupcakes with minions or Sesame street characters on it that you can send to school and see all the kids have a great time. You get to um, know a little bit more about like who Jonah is and what Jonah's going to, what type of person Jonah's going to end up being or Sarah, you get to help her out with, being able to get the confidence to sing a song in front of her friends and stuff. And love that. And it's, uh, and it's really cool to, and this movie can only work with these two characters going through this journey together. And it's really cool to see that regardless if you think totally is fully like a manifestation that Marlo made to kind of cope with, uh, the the struggle of parenting that it's also totally there to send a great message that parenting's worth that struggle as well. Yeah, there's one thing I did want to kind of uh, bring up before we talk about the conclusion here is uh, that conversation that you we were having before. Um, and the reason why I wanted to kind of wait until this section was uh, I think when, you know, Marlo and Tully are talking when they're hanging out in their um, j- like jacuzzi, like sipping on the sangria, th- there is a kind of a conversation. And I think she was talking directly to Tully, trying to convince herself of why she was still in love with this Drew, uh, the father. And she talked about how much that was safe. And Tully was reminding her of like, 
I mean, it's safe, but like, do you have any passion for it at all or anything? And I think it was just more along the lines of like just self doubting. Like once you once you get in, if into a state of like the depression that that deep, right? That you have like a physical manifestation of like the stressful components that's happened to you. You're gonna tend to doubt everything. Like I'm gonna doubt the very existence of myself and every uh, decision that I've made in my past. None of that stuff is gonna feel like it's gonna be worth it. Um, and so I I like that conversation. We didn't know at the time, right? But I was like, oh, she's trying to like convince herself, right? Like you can convince yourself that you're in love with this person and this person's kind of perfect for you. But really, are you convincing yourself now, especially to the point where you're talking to yourself? Like you're yeah. actively talking to yourself, trying to convince yourself that this person's like, this husband's like the perfect fit for you when you know that you're not really getting the emotional support as much as you necessarily would need. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I enjoyed like going back right now that we know that that's one of my favorite sequences, just like just thinking like as a metaphysical or like a, thinking outside the box sort of scenario of like, fuck, that's that's tough to be like, man, like it, you know, it's a sense of like feeling feeling trapped and she has nothing that she can do. Yeah, and, I, and I get now why she's watching gigolos all the time is that I mean. Drew said, like, even Drew was admitting they haven't had sex for months. Oh, and yeah. she needed like just some outlet to either uh, feel a little freakiness or be a little wild in her otherwise normal life, which they definitely show parenting is not a normal life at all. And so that's why she's watching something as salacious as Jigglos every night. I mean, I do that now, though. Is that weird? Uh, well. I guess it depends on who you are. Perfect. Perfect. So in conclusion, let's talk about Tully. Um, uh, Rylan, tell me like some lasting thoughts that you have here. Uh, I love this movie because it's not just about uh, a neglected parent. It's not just about mental health and how people uh, perceive it from the outside looking in. It's not just about the struggles of parenting. It's about all those things all put together. And it definitely tells a very deep, uh, meaningful story that I'm sure a lot of mothers can relate to. But I think that it actually has some appeal that I think anybody should watch this. And I think it's one of the best movies I've seen so far. It's definitely in my top three for this year for right now. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that one for like literally everything he had. Uh, blew it. Yeah, so I, I really did like this basically because of the ending. Uh, I I couldn't stand it before that. Um, I will say this, though. I am watching trailers. Your your plan is stupid. Uh, the I I legitimately knew nothing about this movie. And I, from the outset, had no idea what this was about. I knew it was like an indie flick. And so I was like, is it going to be a horror indie flick? Is it going to be a weird Darnofsky indie flick? Is it going to be like a comedy and just like hip and stuff? I had no idea. And so I kept on like watching and be like, am I supposed to be laughing? Is that funny? And I'm just not getting it. Is this scary? And I'm just not scared. Like I didn't, I, I had no pretense on how I should kind of feel about it. And so I'm not, I'm never doing that again. I'm watching, I'm a hundred percent watching the trailers because at least one to get an overall look of, of, of feel on it. Um, I really no. dug the trailer to this movie though, because all it was, was the cold pizza scene and then the door knocks and then you see Tully and that's it. Oh, 
Interesting. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I don't. Uh, I mean, I like it that you don't watch trailers because then that gives you the most honest approach of how you see something, and that's I I I think right. That's what truly um, defines you, like as a person, and how you're perceiving the information that's that's right in front of you. So you can agree to disagree, of course. But I I, I didn't like it. like it. I didn't like it at all. <laughs> also like feeling uncomfortable in like movies not literally uncomfortable like people talking in the movie theater but like uncomfortable about some of the stuff that i'm watching because it's either new or i haven't seen it before or i've never thought about it before so if you if you provide something that i haven't seen before i'm gonna feel uncomfortable quote unquote but i'm gonna like oh i just this is kind of new to me but i want to like learn together and this movie kind of puts me on that a- a- approach of like, oh, I'm like learning as I'm experiencing. And I'm like, oh, this is tough. And it's a complete raw emotion at that point. That's probably why I tend to cry a lot of movies. I cried in this one. So there you go. Uh, my lasting thoughts uh, would be, you know, love this movie. Um, ditto a lot. Like almost everything that Brylin said, you know, as of right now, this is this is going to go down and like definitely like one of my top three movies of the year so far. Um, it's probably going to go down as like my top movie. I, I'm probably going to find myself kind of watching this again at some point, like later on. Yeah. Um, this is like a movie, like if a big fish is kind of like a feel good movie of like to help me kind of think sometimes this is going to be a movie that I'm like, man, this kind of gets me back into like my mind and also kind of helps me, helps me think a little bit. Um, and you know, I'm glad that this movie came out, uh, the same week as mother's day. You know, and though it's like a, a, a darker uh, premise for some strange reason, still I'm not sure why it's called a comedy drama. Um, you know, as a darker premise that it is, it does give you the sense and kind of appreciation for parents, for mothers, for everybody that's out there. So uh, kudos to them for kind of doing that. Um, and I, I'm just glad the fact that, you know, it for me, it looks like it asks a question of, you know, if you need help, right? Sometimes people don't know how to ask for help. Sometimes people don't realize that they need to ask for help. Sometimes help is not even available. Um, but there's two there's two sides to it, right? If you are the mother in the scenario, you know, don't be afraid to be weak. Don't be like just because you have to ask for help doesn't mean doesn't mean that you're a weak person. Uh, and if you're the father in the scenario or the partner in this scenario, don't be afraid to you know, probe and see if that person needs help or just help them out even without asking, right? Like there's there's parents and there's things that's bigger than like the children itself and people has to be able to try to step up for each other and definitely kind of support each other for whatever that actually happens itself. And, you know, it a lot of this stuff could have been avoided possibly, right? Some of the stuff could have been at least voided if um, Drew, the father character, would have been stepping in and supported, even in the sense of like when he's playing video games or at least like being tired and exhausted in the entire scenario. So um, that's like my lasting thoughts. Yeah. One last thing I would add is um, that this, I like that Jason Reitman does this thing where he doesn't give you a tidy ending, that it is, he basically is showing you this is step one. He's not telling you, oh, everything's hunky-dory right now. It's like, all right, step one is the next morning, help make lunch, help with uh, the diaper changing and and holding the baby and everything. Mm-hmm. That That's not the solution, that that's just the beginning of that journey. 
Well, and it was funny. She even mentioned that, you know, Drew helps makes lunch. Like, oh, what's the nice what's the nice things about Drew? He helps makes lunch. And that's what something yeah. that she was talking to Telly. Um, did anybody else get nervous when she was making the lunch and she put it in her headphones? And I'm like, but you can't hear that baby crying though. Oh, I took that the other way. Nah. I kept on waiting nah, I thought, for the- or, I took it as she's a pro. Oh, okay. I, I took that as uh as she's gonna stab him. Because I, I was still waiting for the horror movie to come out. And I was like, oh, that dude is done. She had that big, big old knife. I will say this again, going back to uh, the way it's framed. Um, you didn't see him making lunch or like caring for the kids until she was somewhat healed of that. So we can make the assumption that it was happening. Just the narrator didn't see it. Uh, Brian, do you also raise a good point? And I think this is a PSA to everyone out there listening to us. Ryan Dowd, get help if you need it. Um <laughs> But uh, but also mental health is it's not it's not a one stop fix all. It is a it's a process, and every day is a new step. Uh, tomorrow will be another step. The day after that is going to be a third step. Um, and so I think you're right, Warren. Where like if we can start having this conversation and start healing ourselves and taking those those processes, um, you know, it, you'll come out of it a better human being. Uh, ask for help, get help, get help from professionals, get help from your friends and keep on doing it every single day. You know, absolutely. Cause everything's going to be worth it in yeah. life. Life right. itself exactly. is worth it. Yes. And we are the down in front podcast. And this ends our review of Tully directed by Jason Reitman. Brylan, where can people find more of your work on the interwebs? Uh, you can find me being a little bit older and wiser on Twitter at Bryland, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. Um, you can also find me posting many more reviews on Instagram at I am Bryland and I'm back in Boston. So the, uh, down in front games cast will be back soon. Now you want to just flush out some details, get some, uh, fancy new, uh, imagery going for it. Maybe even the new theme song. I'll talk to Blewett about that. Um, but when I do return, it'll be twitch.tv slash downfrontpodcast is where you can find our gaming fun that we have. I'm excited. We should grab lunch on Wednesday. Yes. Okay. Uh, Blue It, the Shredder. Where can people find me or you work out there on a bulletin board, on a coffee shop in Boston? Yeah, you can find me in a street corner playing in uh, my, my anus. Uh, it kind of looks like my anus. It's a little bit bigger with a big old <clears throat> hole in the middle, but, uh, you know, <laughs> Did I use that joke last time? I honestly don't remember. Y'all should open for Kitar Bear. Oh man, that'd be good. <laughs> no, that guy has actual talent. Um, <laughs> also, if you want to reach out to me individually, you can uh, go to watch Jesse Rand uh, pump breast milk at ymail.com. Terrible. You're not even trying anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's like a well, you could just you could Skype in. It's just Jesse Rand pumping breast milk. <laughs> Oh, hey, guys. <laughs> Is he pumping his own breast milk? And welcome to the Down and Pump podcast. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> noise. Noise. 
And we are the Down in Front Podcast. Definitely go check out more of our work. Literally everything and anything that you would like from us, even our bios and all of our links is going to be at downinfrontpodcast.com. So definitely go check that out. Um, you can find us just about any sort of platform you can think of. So facebook.com slash downinfrontpodcast and Twitter at underscore JFP. We're going to be on Patreon. So people who definitely want to help us out, do you like what we do here? We're going to be pushing out like early episodes and pushing out bonus episodes and bonus content on our Patreons. So definitely go check that out. It's patreon.com slash downinfrontpodcast. We have a bunch of awesome music and themes that's coming out and Blue It has been absolutely killing it on our SoundCloud. So definitely check that out and search for us on SoundCloud. That's also on downinfrontpodcast.com. Thank you so much for kind of hanging out with us so much. Uh, we will be back sometime next week. We're not entirely sure. Oh, we're probably going to review Deadpool. Yes, Deadpool. Uh, yeah. yeah, so definitely check out for our next <laughs> review on Deadpool. And we will say thank you so much for hanging out with us. And a special, special thank you for everybody, all of our listeners who actually made us and gave us the ability to record our 100th episode that is still up right now on iTunes and Google Play Store and everywhere. So anywhere you can search for us, Down in Front Podcast. Thank you so much for our listeners. Thank you so much for everything else. And we are out. And we will see you soon. Bye. Uh, yo, how is the original release date not Mother's Day weekend? <laughs>